NFL show on the Grilly Crew Sports Network. The NFL show, as always, is brought to you by Path of Purity. Check them out at pathofpurity.direct to get a two-month supply for the price of one. And get basically, you put a tablet under your tongue, goes immediately into your blood bloodstream, and then it lasts for 12 hours, time released over those 12 hours. So make sure you check out pathofpurity.direct. I'm your host for the NFL show, Mike Goodpaster. Right now, I'd like to welcome in my co-host, Sam Teets. How you doing, Sam? I'm doing great, Mike. How about you? All right. And today, since we're a little bored, now on Monday, Super Bowl week, make sure you check us out as we'll have NFL All-Pro running back Rocky Blyer from the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think he's got three or four Super Bowl rings. We'll talk to Rocky about that. Talk to him about, you know, Sam's Pittsburgh Steelers and what they're going to do now because Seems like they've got a mess, Sam. But make sure you check us out Monday for Rocky Blyer. We'll have guests all week next week, so make sure you check us out at 1 o'clock Eastern time every day, Monday through Friday. And Friday, we'll tell you who's going to win the Super Bowl. All right, Sam, we're going to start off. I mean, I always let you pick my list apart. I didn't write a list. I just jotted some notes down. And we'll go ahead, and I'm going to start off with 32. I think the worst draft last year. And there's no question about that to me is the Denver Broncos. There was not a single rookie in the Broncos 2020 class to generate value above expectation. Their four, first four selections, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, um, Michael Ojumidi, and Lloyd Cushenberry all played over 500 snaps. All four failed to crack the 25 percentile at the respective position of pro football focus. This is a draft that when you look at it, I still hold out hope for Jerry Judy, but this is not a good draft, especially for a team that needed a good draft. I think that's ridiculous to have him that far down. So at least you have productive players. I don't care about pro football focus. They didn't have him in the top 20 percentile, whatever it was. If you want to look at production, Houston Texans had the least productive draft class out of this group by far. Their top pick was Ross Blacklock, a second-round guy who barely saw the football field. So I think Denver can't, Denver can't be last. There were far worse draft selections here. Is that the only one that you can come up with this worse? Oh, I can say the Saints. Zach Ball wasn't very good. He was a second-round pick. The Packers were worse. The Titans were worse. I think the Patriots were worse because it's a long-term projection. They didn't play much this year. The Raiders were worse. You're hurting my feelings right now, Sam. Yeah, well, you know, I don't get to do this very often. Usually it's the other way around. So you're just doing this for the hell of it, aren't you? Well, yeah, obviously. I do everything for the hell of it. Oh, you do? Sort of. Uh, you've been hanging out with Steve Risley too much, haven't you? <laughs> oh, yeah, because, you know, start the basketball show and all that. The college basketball show with Steve Risley. No, it's not going to happen. Why not? Uh, That's just mean. You should do a college basketball show. I know nobody cares about college basketball right now, but they will when you get to Marge. That's true. Everyone will start watching again, hopefully. Just hopefully tell, him actually tell, tell him to start it in March. He'd, right. probably, he'd probably get a lot of views off of it. We probably would. And I'll do it with him if you don't. My number 31 is the Jacksonville Jaguars. Both of Jacksonville's first-round selections, C.J. Henderson and defensive end Chasen, generated value well below expectation this season. I'm sure you want to pick this apart. But to me, outside of Henderson in week one, there's not a lot here. I do think that Chenault looks like he might be a good pick. I think he was the one positive rookie performer for Jacksonville. Yeah, they had 12 rookies in this class. And because they had so many draft picks, you would expect them to hit at least a couple of them. I still hold up some hope for C.J. Anderson because I think there were some positive games last year. But I think Chanel is by far the one with the most upside. Chase Long was an absolute disappointment. 
And I do think if I had to make a list, I'd probably put them a little higher than you have them, but I can't really disagree with them being towards the bottom of the list because they weren't very good this year. They only had, like I said, one standout rookie in Chenault. And other than that, everyone was at best average, and everyone else didn't play nearly enough snaps to really qualify as productive players. All right, number 30. Let's go with the Las Vegas Raiders. And I think all seven of the Raiders' 2020 draft picks were selected within the first four rounds. This should have been a no-doubt great draft, correct? Oh, yeah. You needed to get production in this class immediately. They didn't. And Henry Riggs or Ruggs at some point showed off great speed, but that was about it. And this draft, to me, could be what ends John Gruden because this is a draft where they really needed to make hay here. Well, yeah, and you take Ruggs, you're making the first wide receiver taken. There end up being, what, six or seven wide receivers that were better than Ruggs in this draft class already? So I think that's a big loss. And Damon Ernest, obviously, was a puzzling pick at 19th overall. I don't think many people had him getting going in the first round. The one pause that I could plot here is you did take Tanner Muse in the third, which might have been a little high. But I watched him at Clemson. He could be a decent hybrid linebacker safety player in the NFL. He just got hurt and didn't play his rookie year. So right now, actually, the most, I have the most hope for him just because I haven't seen him play yet at the NFL level. Yeah, and am I wrong here? When I look at the Raiders, I think, you know, one more wrong move, and they might be the fourth-best team in this division because the Broncos, I think, are close. If they could get a quarterback, they might become better than the Raiders right there. The Chargers have a lot of talent, and then you got the Kansas City Chiefs. Well, let me put it this way. If the Broncos sign Andy Dalton in the offseason and they're smart enough to start Andy Dalton over Drew Locke, they're already better than the Raiders. I think, it's that, I think it's that close. I think they would be better than the Raiders if they just play Andy Dalton. Well, I believe this, that the Raiders don't have a great offseason. I think John Gruden could be fired at the end of next year. I don't know. The ownership puts a lot of faith in John Gruden, Mike. <laughs> they make a lot of bad decisions there. They get they put a lot of money into him, too. And yeah. also, if you look at the quotes from their owner, you know, Mark Davis, who looks like a 12-year-old boy with his haircut, but uh, – when you look at that, I don't think they're as sold on John Gruden as they were when they coughed up $100 million for him. Well, I think you, for $100 million, you'd expect at least one winning season by now. In fact, they haven't had one or haven't had a playoff season at the very least. Puts them in hot water, I believe, going into next year. But 10, uh, 10 years, $100 million, Mike. I mean, that's a, that's a lot, lot of money. money. wonder what the buyout is. Probably all of it. Um, number 29, the Detroit Lions. Sam McGinnis's team. Their prize pick, Jeff Ukada, I thought was very bad. And the only two guys that I really see on this list that really played a lot were Jonah Jackson and John Penasini. Neither one of them looked very good. This was not a good draft either. And in the end, maybe it's what killed Matt Patricia. Yeah, I think the best thing taken from this draft is you had Jonah Jackson, you had Logan uh, Stenberg, who kind of played – a little bit there along the line. The offensive line was actually a lot better in Detroit this year than it has been in past seasons. So I think that's probably the best takeaway from this draft class. But I agree with you. This is one of the worst draft classes in the NFL because Okuda was the third overall pick and an absolute whiff. He was terrible as a rookie. And missing third overall, I mean, that's that should be what broke Matt Patricia's career. It probably wasn't because it's was probably just his actions and the way all his players seem to resent him or a lot of players seem to resent him. But really, messing up this draft is huge. That's one of the reasons why GM's not there either. I still hold out some hope for DeAndre Swift, but I think there's going to be lower expectations than the guys like Cam Akers is going to be better next year. Jonathan Taylor will be better. Edward Slater will be better than DeAndre Swift. He might be the fifth best back in this draft class. Yeah, and really, these bottom seven or eight, any of them could be the last team. But there's a lot oh, yeah. of bad drafts here. My number 28, I think, is where I am, is the New York Giants. 
Uh, fourth overall pick, Andrew Thomas. Not a good pick. Um, Darnay Holmes. Uh, no, I don't even think he's one of the top 100 cornerbacks in the NFL. Shane Lemieux, a bad guard. I mean, this was a bad draft also, and this is a team that couldn't afford it. They can't afford to keep missing on offensive linemen, and I think they missed big time on all the linemen they picked here. Yeah, and if I recall, I didn't have Andrew Thomas as a top tackle going into the draft. You convinced me that he's tackle available. Who did? You did. I had Uda. I had Wills ahead I of. Think. Granted, Wills is probably the third best at the very most, but I had Wills ahead of Thomas, and I had Worfs ahead of Thomas. You convinced me to move Thomas up to number one. So why would you do that? Just because I convinced you? That's stupid. Uh. <laughs> yeah, but I think, I think yeah, I agree. You can't keep missing the offensive line here. That's what's really killed the Giants. They haven't been able to build up this offensive line. I mean, I'm curious to see what Xavier McCain does because I know he missed most of his rookie year. That's a safety from Alabama. It was a great second pick at 36 overall. So I think there's still a little hope here. But unless Andrew Thomas makes a huge jump in year two, I mean, this is basically a full hey, how, how about this, though? Is the issue not with the Giants, the offensive line coaching? Because when you pick guys repeatedly year after year and you never develop them, are the, the players that bad or is it just the coaching? Because you've got to have, I mean, out of every position on an NFL football team, I think the most valuable guy is if you've got a great offensive line coach. Well, they, they fired their offensive line coach about midway through the season. If I'm not mistaken, Thomas played a little bit better in the second half than the first half of the year. That's kind of my point. So don't give up on ranking him number one yet. Number 27. But as of right now, we, we can't. And that number 27, I got the Miami Dolphins. They had, you know, first-round picks, Tua Tagovailoa, Austin Jackson, and Noah. I'll, I'll call him Iggy. And <laughs> none of these guys, I think, performed the way they needed to perform for this team. And the thing that's amazing here is they had as good a season as they did. Yeah, the most productive players from this team or from this rookie class probably were guys like Robert Hunt or Raekwon Davis that he got in the second round. But Noah Igbenogany, I think that's how you say his name. It doesn't uh, matter. Call him Iggy. Yeah, it's but, easier. Yeah, Noah Iggy and Austin Jackson and Tua Tagovailoa were all obviously below average players this year. Tua struggled. He got replaced with Ryan Fitzpatrick in a couple of games. And then taking you know, taking Iggy at 30th overall was one I just didn't understand. There was Jeff Gladney was still on the board. Cam Dantzler went in the third round. It was much better. I, I just don't get that one. Yeah. Um, 26, I got the Tennessee Titans. They could have been 32nd also. Hell, their best player was seventh-round draft pick Chris Jackson. And I would like to say that I put this together in, like, the last hour, and it took five <laughs> minutes. But number 20, I mean, at 26, we got the Titans. And I don't think – think that they had no rookies from what I read that even played 300 snaps. It might it might have been Christian Fulton. Maybe Christian Fulton got that corner. For, uh, but I know he was limited in games. He only played maybe six or eight games this year. I'll look it up. But other than that, I know the, the first-round pick, Isaiah Wilson, at right tackle, didn't play very much at all. So they've had issues there. And you're right. Christian Fulton only played about 205 total snaps in the rookie season. So they got no production out of them. I really think this could have been the 31st team in terms of draft classes, you were ranking them right above the te Texans at 32. I don't even have the Texans that low. Why not? I mean, what, what did the Texans do? What did the Texans – where do you we'll have get the them Texans? in a minute. Jeez, back off. All right. Number 25, I got the Baltimore Ravens. You going to disagree with me here? All right, explain, explain. J.K. Dobbins had a good year. But 
when you consider position he plays, is it really that valuable? Linebacker Patrick Queen, Ty or Tyree Phillips, who were both fairly high picks, top 110. I don't think either one of them played very well. So you tell me why I'm wrong by ranking them this low. Patrick Queen struggled a lot in pass coverage, but he made plays for them, which, as you informed me, making plays and being working within the system they have defensively is the thing that matters, not necessarily pass coverage. Which but is he gave up me. plays. But this is the thing. There's a difference here between him and Devin White. I mean, Devin White making plays all over the place. And the other thing about Devin White is if you watched him those last couple of playoff games and at the end of the season, he was much better in, in pass coverage than what he was. Patrick Queen didn't improve at all. He might have even got worse. I don't know how the heck you have the Houston Texans above this. I mean, right now you've got guys like Dobbins. Dobbins alone would be good enough to put this team above the Houston Texans and probably in the top 15. You've also got guys on the air side of the ball, like even guys like Devin DuVernay didn't play a lot. Lake Jack, Malik Harrison, that linebacker, didn't play great. But just the fact you can plug and play about four of these guys and have them be contributors right away, you have about six of these guys make starts in their rookie seasons. That's what you get from most teams. Yeah. Well, number 24, I've got the Houston Texans. <laughs> And I, no team had fewer snaps by their 2020 rookie class than the Texans. Collectively, they logged a total of 847. That is largely due to, of course, Bill O'Brien Brian trading away their 2020 first-round pick, along with their 2021 first and second-round picks. Yay for Bill O'Brien. It's like he's going to Vegas to bet against them. What do you think? Well, he's got to be doing that. That's what I'd be doing with Bill O'Brien right now. I don't have, I'm not in the NFL anymore. Why would I care? I mean, at this point... If they trade, if they trade to Sean Watson, everyone's going to be betting against him. That will be an 0-16 team without the Sean Watson. Yeah. So you don't like Ross Blacklock? No, I mean he didn't do very much. He's not a pass rushing defensive tackle. He's kind of a run stopper. But right now they just don't have anything else there. They've got nothing. All right, you got a freebie there because actually I'd forgotten Houston Texans. I've listed another yeah. team twice. <laughs> That's what happens when you make up your mind what you're going to do to show about in the last hour. But we will have Rocky Blyer here Monday. Um, number 24, I think is where I'm at. And at 24, I'm going to go with the Philadelphia Eagles. The Philly had 16 rookies that recorded a snack a snap, but nobody made it in a, a big impact. Maybe the biggest impact was Jalen Hurts, who, you know, for a game or two looked like he might be the guy, uh, Jalen Rieger battled through some bad quarterback play. I don't think we can blame it all on him, but he didn't do much on his end either. He produced, I think a little over 60 yards receiving a game so this is another bad draft yeah this is not a great one you took Rieger ahead of Justin Jefferson which is the unforgivable part if you're Philadelphia and Rieger had 396 receiving yards had a couple of good plays but good plays alone don't make a great season Kayvon Wallace in the defense was eh he was all right the rotational secondary player at most right now and Jalen Hurts, I mean, taking that quarterback, Jalen Hurts, it really comes down to what do Rieger, what does Rieger do in year two when he's healthy what does Hurts do is Hurts able to out-compete Carson Wentz? I don't think it will happen, but if he beats out Carson Wentz and plays well, this draft class automatically can jump up. But I don't expect he will. I think this will be one of the worst draft classes in recent history for the Eagles. All right, where are we at? Number 23. Keep track of the numbers because I'll forget. The Carolina Panthers, even though I've got them written down. And the reason Carolina isn't lower than any, uh, any lower than 23rd is one pick, and that's Jeremy Chin, who was selected 64th overall. Uh, meanwhile, Derek Brown... Uh, Matos, Pride, Roy all had seasons well below what would be expected of them. Jeremy Chin's the only thing that gets them this high. 
Yeah, I mean, Derek Brown was, what, seventh overall? This guy had comparisons to Ndamukong Sue coming out of college. And two sacks this year, about 34 tackles. It's a total letdown. Obviously, this guy can still develop. We see it happen all the time. But Jeremy Chin was a guy who, I mean, arguably, if not for the final four weeks of the year, where Chase Jones looked great, I think Jeremy Chin would probably be defensive rookie of the year otherwise. I mean, he was very productive. Linebacker safety hybrid who ended up scoring two touchdowns and just put numbers up across the board. I think he saves his draft loss. Otherwise, like I said, very disappointing. All right, number 22, the Dallas Cowboys. And much like the Carolina Panthers, the reason that they didn't go any lower was just one guy, and that was C.D. Lamb, who I think played pretty well. He had Ben DiNucci. I mean, the seventh-round pick, he, he – He's not very good, um, but he did play. There's there's nothing else here good that I can bring. C.D. Lamb saves the ass. I think Trevon Diggs might get a little underrated here because he's playing with such bad, such a bad group of guys around him right now. I think Diggs, there's still hope for him. I think he'd still be a starting caliber corner. So I like Trevon Diggs right now. Yeah, but we got we got to judge off what we've seen so far, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, so far, yeah, like I said, it hasn't been great. I mean, Lamb was well on pace to have over a thousand yards before Dak Prescott goes down. And, of course, Dalton gets COVID and a whole bunch of other stuff implodes. But basically, Lamb would have been a pro bowler this year. He would have been around 1,200 yards this season had everything worked out well. All right. Who we got next? i got to look at my list. Number 21. Oh, number 21. It doesn't matter what number it is anymore. I've done lost track. Um, I get the Arizona Cardinals. Um, outside of Isaiah Simmons. They got virtually nothing out of this rookie class. Fourth-round defensive end, Lecky Futu, and those tackle Richard Lawrence were two rookies. That's about all I could say about them. So right there, a third of the NFL drafts right now are crap, and three of them were only saved because they got decent first-round picks, I think. Yeah, I would put the Cardinals even lower. I think the Cardinals had one of the 10 worst draft classes here because – Simmons had a good second half of the season, but he was not even playing a lot of snaps for me the first eight weeks of the year. And once he got out there, he started making plays. But before that, the first half of the season, Simmons was basically non-existent in this defense. And he was the only thing, like you said, that helped this draft class out. So I think you put this one way too high. I would have him much lower. All right. Well, I mean, we still haven't got to a good draft. The Cleveland Browns are next. They had four picks in the first two days. Um, Grant Delpit. Missed a campaign with a torn Achilles. You had Jedrick Wills, Jordan Elliott, Jacob Phillips, and I think all of them performed under expectations. Yeah, the most productive players from this class, obviously Jedrick Wills, you have to say, was decent as a rookie, but you expect him to be better. Erickson Bryant probably outperformed his value the most at tight end. He had some good games. even though He had some fumbling issues at different points during the year. But even he, he only had 238 receiving yards. That tells you how bad this rookie class was. Maybe Delpit saves it by coming back next year and Wills and Bruce. But so far, if you're the Browns, I mean, to have the picks you have and not get better players, you have to be very disappointed. Yeah, we'll just start ranking them once we get to a good draft, which I'm still not to. The Seattle Seahawks. Um, Damian Lewis, their third-round selection, I think still needs to improve a lot. But I think he was one of the more valuable guards in the NFL this year. Outside of that, though, second-round pick Daryl Taylor didn't play a down. Um, First-round pick Jordan Brooks hardly generated anything. Um, another bad draft by Pete Carroll, who, once again, I will say, should be fired. Yeah, Pete Carroll and John Snyder have had a lot of bad drafts recently, and this was definitely one of them. 
Taking Jordan Brooks, this was supposed to be the replacement for KJ Wright, but KJ Wright still played better than Jordan Brooks, even though he's taking less fewer snaps during the season. I think the best piece of this draft actually was Alton Robinson, the fifth round pick from Syracuse. He didn't play very well in 2019 college, but in 2018 he had a monster year. And on limited snaps, he did have four sacks this season and 22 tackles. I think that was probably the best value pick for Seattle. But otherwise, I mean, these guys, I don't know if there's a starter here. I don't think there's a starting caliber player they picked. I know Lewis started. Maybe he's the lone starter. But everyone else, they look like backups. Yeah, we get to the Green Bay Packers. Another bad draft. This is one of the worst. They drafted Jordan Love, second-round running back, A.J. Dillon, third-round tight end, Josiah DeGuara. They all combined for a total of 122 snaps. Undrafted free agent Chris Barnes was probably their best rookie, and he wasn't in the draft. So this is another bad draft, and this is Aaron Rodgers' problem. Aaron Rodgers' problem is not Aaron Rodgers. I gave him a lot of crap, but the thing is, it's the front office in Green Bay. It's the coaching in Green Bay that are really holding Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers could be even better than what Aaron Rodgers has been, I believe. I think it's the Packers' front office that's killing them. No, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, this is the, probably the third worst draft class in the NFL from last year. I think it's bottom five by far. Hell, I think it could be the worst. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the, the only thing you could say is A.J. Dillon had won a 100-yard game this season. But A.J. Dillon, you don't draft the guy from Boston College. He wasn't that – like, let's be honest. He was productive in Boston College, but it wasn't that great of a draft prospect. They took him too high in the second round. Now you're probably going to let Aaron Jones walk away and be disappointed by what A.J. Dillon does next year. And you drafted Jordan Love, who's not going to play for another three or four years. I just don't see how this Green Bay draft – I mean, this this was awful. This was a total mistake. Yeah, and, and we're still at bad drafts, and I think we're halfway through now. The New Orleans Saints, um, yeah. they lacked draft, draft capital for the second straight season. They only had four picks. Cesar Ruiz, who was up and down in his rookie campaign, um, I, I wasn't big on him to start off with. You got Zach Bond, who didn't next to nothing. Tight end Adam Troutman maybe was their best pick to tight end number three, and he didn't do a whole hell of a lot either. So once again, when you're the Saints and you're going to be hitting that salary cap, well, you got to be letting people go. you got to hit on draft picks to be able to continue success. Well, and the issue for them is they hit on the draft was in 2018, 2017. They had all those guys they hit on, and now they're all up for contracts. And really, you're in a situation, like I said, Adam Trump was probably the best traffic they had this past year, which is really not great for them because he's a release. They put him on the offensive line. They're probably going to have to let one of the other better offensive linemen go this offseason. Zach Bont, linebacker, I mean, did he do anything? He had maybe 20 tackles the entire year. So I think this was a terrible draft class for the Saints, an organization that is usually pretty good with the draft, although they took Marcus Davenport maybe the year before that. And that was also a very curious selection. All right. Number 15, now we get the decent drafts, just decent, but we get to 15. The New York Jets, I think offensive tackle Mekhi Becton, he actually lived up to expectations, and I think he exceeded what I thought, and this is why, I mean, I think the Jets have a future here, especially if they could get Deshaun Watson, or even if they're rolling with you know Sam Darnold. Now, a couple of the other picks, Ashton Davis, outside linebacker Jabari Zuniga, Fell well short of everything, but you had second-round wide receiver Denzel Mims, fifth-round quarterback Bryce Hall, and Javelin Guidry all provided more value than expected. I think that this draft right now is average, but I think that Mekhi Becton is going to make this a good draft in the end. I think Mekhi Becton already has made it a good draft. And the fact that he's performing the way he did 
as a rookie when there were so many concerns coming out of college. I mean, he's far up from my expectations. He was far too raw of a prospect to do much in the rookie season. He still played well. Mims battled injuries the entire time. He still had a decent rookie season considering the fact he only had maybe eight games to go on, plus he was dealing with those injuries. Ashton Davis played a lot of snaps, but was somewhat disappointing. I think Jabari Zuniga, the guy you mentioned at the third round, I don't think he even made the team. I think he got cut shortly after being no, drafted. I watched him play. Did he? Yeah. Well, right, he, yeah I, he played at the start of the year. I don't know if he's still there. I think he played in preseason. I don't know if he played. Well, I never said he played. I said that he sucked. So there you go. Oh, no, he did play. I don't yeah. know who I was thinking about then. I don't either. You had me confused. Right. I made a mistake, but uh, yeah, no, Bryce Hall, though. Bryce Hall in the fifth round was a great pick. I really like Bryce Hall. All right, number 14, the Atlanta Falcons. Actually, I can see having the Jets above the Falcons. I think I put um, them there, too. But neither the second-day picks, Marlon Davidson or Matt Hennessy, played all that well. I, I think the thing yeah, – A.J. Terrell, I think, is still going to be a good football player. And I think that even though a lot of people – don't give him any credit at all. I think there's a lot more positives there than what I expected from him. And also, I think they found some awe of some value in the fourth round with linebacker Mikel, or Michael Walker. And when I look at that, Walker and Terrell, I think, are going to end up being really good picks. So it puts them above the other half of the teams that were crappy in this draft. I think Terrell is going to be a really good pick. I liked him in college. I thought he was going to be or limited when he got to the NFL. I thought taking him where they did for Atlanta was a little crazy. I, I think it was 16th overall. I thought it was too high. I thought it would be more towards the back end of the first round. But honestly, compared to C.J. Henderson and Jeff Okuda, who went before him, he was better. So I think taking him at 16th overall now looks pretty smart for Atlanta. Well, I think what people don't realize is cornerback, outside of quarterback, is probably the hardest transition to make when you get to the NFL. And we've seen a lot of – a perfect guy to me is Eric Thomas, played for the Bengals, 1987, rookie year, got torched left and right. By 1988, he's a pro bowler. And, I mean, it takes a while to learn how to play that position in the NFL. Playing cornerback in college is completely different than the NFL, and you're playing against a whole different breed of athletes. You might be in college playing in the SEC, and as an outside cornerback, line up against five or six guys that are NFL caliber – Everybody you line up against in the NFL is NFL caliber. So I, that's why I think that A.J. Terrell played pretty good because I don't. there's not too many corners that come in and all of a sudden they're studs in the NFL. Well, you think about it, he's one play away in that Kansas City Chiefs game. He almost has an interception but hits the ground, which hits his elbow and kind of jars the ball. So he picks off Patrick Mahomes there to win that game for Atlanta. I think a lot more people are talking about A.J. Terrell. That one play falls his way. All right, number 13, the New England Patriots. And I, I think the most impressive here pick, it was the six-round pick of Michael Onwinu, whatever the hell his name is. Yeah. I, I think he might end up being the biggest steal of the entire draft. And that's oh, why I have him this high. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, he was one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL this year. I think you can make a listing of players who played at his position, and you could have him inside the top seven maybe. Who's that good? So I really like what he's we saw from him. The and rest Kyle, of this draft bus. I think Kyle Duggar's really good. Yeah. Especially considering he came from a Division II school. And, I, I mean, I think he more than held up. And that's saying a lot because safety is not quite as difficult as corner to get used to, but it is difficult. It probably also helps to build Belichick's your coach. But I think Duggar and the guard, because I don't want to screw his name up again, are going to make this a, a really good draft in the end. Number 12, 
the Chicago Bears. Second round pick Jalen Johnson had a bit of a roller coaster, but I think he showed signs of life towards the end of the year. Um, what's your take on them? You know, I like Jalen Johnson. He's a starting caliber corner, which is why we land him in the second round. I think that's great value. I like. I still like Cole Komet. I know he didn't have a great rookie season. I still really like Cole Komet. I just you need to use him differently and put a quarterback back there who can throw him the football. I mean, Cole Komet could really have a five or six hundred yard year if you just give him a quarterback. Well, and the fifth round pick, Daryl Mooney, the Tulane wide receiver, I thought was uber productive, especially for a guy that was a fifth round pick. Yeah, yeah, I think six hundred receiving yards, somewhere between five hundred six hundred receiving yards for a guy of his stature. In draft class series, he finished like maybe seventh or eighth in receiving yards from among rookies, which is really good considering you're a fifth round pick in a draft class. It might have been the best for wide receivers in the past decade. All right, number 11, I've got the San Francisco 49ers. You had Brandon Ayuk, and I think he was the saving grace of this. Um, he and interior defender Javon Kinlaw, I think, are what get him up here. I'm still not convinced with Kinlaw. I mean, he looks like a football player. But it's the old look like Tarzan, play like Jane. I'm a little worried there. But Ayuk was a great pick, I think. No, Ayuk has been everything you want. It's kind of weird because they have Ayuk and Debo Samuel at this point, And they're both good receivers. I just don't know if either one of them is a true number one receiving option. So you kind of have like two number twos in my opinion right now. I don't know what they're going to do with that. But Kinlaw, I really think this whole draft kind of hinges on Kinlaw. You traded away DeForest Buckner. And you, you, Kinlaw has to be hit. Kinlaw has to be pit for them. Otherwise, you really took a net loss as a front office. All right, number 10, the Los Angeles Rams. Um, Jordan Fowler. I think Jordan Fowler played really well. Cam Akers was a great pick. and But Fowler sticks out. I think Fowler's going to be – I mean, for a six-round pick, Jordan Fowler, I think, far exceeded expectations. You know, Fowler's phenomenal. He intercepted Tom Brady, I believe, twice in that game against Tampa Bay. And – I gotta tell you, you think you have this one too low. I really think you have this one too low. I think I they don't. have enough. I, I think it's just two guys, though. Just two. You think it's just Jordan Fuller and just Cam Akers? Yeah. Who else do you think here really deserves to be ranked that high? I, I still leave some hope in there for Trill Burgess. I like Trill Burgess coming out of college from Utah. I still leave some hope in there for him. I think you will get more contributions from Trill Lewis and Maybe Van Jefferson in the future. I don't know. I just feel like this is overall. You know, but we, we can't rank them by what we yeah. think they might do. You know what yeah, I mean? I know, I know. I just feel like this class, compared to some of the ones we were talking about previously, this class is much better. Well, they're ahead of everybody I talked about previously, Sam. That's kind of how it works, I guess. Yeah. Number nine, the Buffalo Bills. Now, they were without a 2020 first-round pick. Defensive end, A.J. Penzia. I don't know. I suck at names that aren't easy. Everybody's last name should be like Richards or something. Um, I, I don't think he played very well, but I think Buffalo deserves a top 10 spot. Large part, Zach Moss, Gabriel Davis, who we saw make some big plays in the playoffs, and cornerback Dane Jackson. Right there, I think those three players are better than what the Rams pick was. All right. I think Zach Moss was decent for a rookie. He was not phenomenal, though. I mean, 481 rushing yards in 13 games, 4.3 yards per carry. It, it was all right year for Zach Moss. He's not going to break the scales. I think Gabriel Davis probably had the better year. Uh, Tyler Bass, I think the kicker, though. isn't? If I'm, yeah, Ty, I forgot about Tyler Bass. But the thing is this, all these guys are third-round and lower picks. That's why I'm saying they did this without a first-round pick. And we saw teams like the Cleveland Browns and – 
whoever else that had three or four picks in the first Dolphins, two yeah. rounds that completely missed. And I mean, Gabriel Davis, I think, is a dude that could develop into a really good number two wide receiver. And you've already got a number one in Stephon Diggs. I think you have to knock him down a spot for taking Jake from. Why? Just because. You just hate him because he plays at an SEC school. I, uh, it's no mistake that I don't like the SEC particularly. I just think taking Jake from in the fifth round is kind of a weird pick. All right, my number eight, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Chase Claypool makes this pick. Um, I think he was one of the more valuable non-first-round picks. And once again, I rank him this high just because I think they did really well for not having a first-round pick. I mean, Alex Highsmith, I think, was kind of hot and cold. But I think overall, when you look at a third-round pick, you can't expect much more than what you got there. Yeah, I was worried about how we can replace Bo Dupree this offseason. But looking at how the cap situation is working out right now, even if Ben restructures and saves $19 million for the Steelers this offseason, you're not going to be able to go out and sign a lot of free agents. So I think Alex Highsmith is going to be a star going into next year. After what I saw at the end of the season, I'm not, I'm honestly not that upset. He was not as good as Bud Dupree, but for a third-round pick, he's good enough that he'll thrive alongside T.J. Watt and Cam Hayward. All right, my number seven, the Minnesota Vikings. Now, if they would have got more than two guys that really tore it up, I could see putting them higher. But Justin Jefferson, great pick. He was the best wide receiver in that draft, I think. And quarterback Cameron Dantzler. Um, with those two guys, I mean, Jefferson, to me, should be the rookie of the year. Um, Dantzler, he's a typical rookie corner. He endured a roller coaster season. But the thing is this, a lot of guys don't even have a roller coaster season their first year at cornerback. It's just all bad. So I will put them at number seven. Most of that is just based off of Justin Jefferson. I thought Dancer actually played really well. If you're talking about the best corners in this draft class, him and Terrell probably, I mean, those two. Yeah, but there's no corner in this draft class that we say is elite in his first season. And that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's yeah. roller coaster. But roller coaster for a cornerback is not all bad because bad corners usually stay at the bottom of a roller coaster. They don't even get on the roller coaster. Yeah, and Jack you know Gladden, who and we that talk- brings up the fact that I, I really miss, like, fairs. There's no more fairs because of COVID. I didn't get to go to the fair last year. Well, we don't have fairs out here in New Jersey, so I don't know what that you really don't have like. Fairs but... in New Jersey? Do you still got Coney Island? Oh yeah, I guess we do. See, we got have fairs. We got a Coney Island in Cincinnati. Did you know that? No, I didn't. You do? Yeah. Well, I've went there. I don't ride rides though because I'm afraid of heights. <laughs> I, I don't That's even right. like being this tall. <laughs> you don't like being six feet tall, Mike. No, but I do. I, I like to go to the fair because I, I don't do it anymore because now we just walk through it and leave because it's really boring. But it's just yeah. a fact that I didn't get to. But, you know, they used to have the little football toss thing where you stand like 15 yards away. You throw the ball through the tire three times. You get a stuffed animal. I used to really be able to impress the girls when I was a teenager. <laughs> I did actually. I did go to a lot of amusement parks when I was a kid. I spent a lot of money shooting, like trying to shoot basketballs through an oddly shaped hoop and never getting them through. But I spent a lot of money in that kind you of know, The key there is to bank it in. Yeah, I know. Oh, I know. I figured that out eventually. I started banking the shots. And I did win some stuff later on, but when I was a oh. kid, I always tried to go for the swish. Oh, they used to stop me. So you win like two or three times and then you're banned for the rest of the day. Yeah, they realize you're too good. You figured it out and they can't let you do it anymore. Yeah, and it's Indiana. So they always lost their ass coming down here anyways. Number six, the Los Angeles Chargers. Quarterback Justin Herbert, I think we could say he was a success, better than what I thought he would be. Linebacker Kenneth Murray, uh, average. 
But Justin Herbert here puts him at number six. No, I agree. Justin Herbert alone here is really what carries this draft class. There's some intriguing guys here. You guys like Joe Reed, KJ Hill, Joshua Kelly, who took some snaps because of the running back position was kind of a revolving door from them after Eckler got hurt. But this whole thing is being carried by Justin Herbert. We talked about Patrick Queen not necessarily playing well as a rookie. I mean, Kenneth Murray played worse than Patrick Queen. So at this point, I think Herbert is the one carrying this draft class right now. Because he was so good as a rookie, I do think this is a deserving spot in the top ten. All right, number five, the Washington football team, or as I like to call him, Sam, the Redskins. And I mean, Chase Young, he he was pretty damn good this year. Running back Antonio Gibson, pretty damn good this year. Um, I'll tell you, Cameron Curl here, yeah. considering he was a seventh-round pick, I think, wasn't he? Cameron Curl. I mean, yeah, he was seventh-rounder, yep. Yeah, was a really good pick. No, he was phenomenal for them because they had Landon Collins go down and get hurt. So Curl comes in, he starts 11 games for them, has three interceptions, and ends up being a very productive player in the back end of a team that had a, a decent secondary, not a great secondary, but a decent secondary behind a defensive line that was anchored by former first-round picks, including Chase Young. And if Antonio Gibson stays healthy, I'm pretty confident he'll be in a 1,000-yard rusher in the future. So I really like what Washington does here because they have three starters, three quality starters from this one draft class. All right, my number four to Kansas City Chiefs, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I don't think – lived up to expectations. I also think this. I think unless it's like Derrick Henry or Walter Payton or Gale Sayers or Jim Brown, picking a first-round pick as a running back, I think is a huge reach. I think what saved it here, though, was linebacker Willie Gay and their cornerback, Legeria Sneed. I think both of those guys far or far exceeded what anybody thought they would do. And once again, this is something that the New England Patriots did where they usually drafted well, especially from the third round down every year while they were in their dynasty. And the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, you picked up a linebacker. You picked up Snead, who is a very good safety. And when you look at that, I mean, and Snead played a little corner also. So they picked up guys with value, even though they didn't start picking till number 32, Sam. And Snead's been making a lot of big plays for them this year especially down the stretch in the playoffs because they've had injuries at quarterback, at quarterback. So he's come in, play a little bit of slot, play a little bit of everywhere, honestly, this year for the defense. I don't know if I would have them this high just because, like you said, Clyde edwards Hilaire was a little bit of a disappointment. I thought Willie Gay was good but not phenomenal. Well, how about this? I think, this? I think with him, though, I mean, I think he's going to be a really good running back. I, I don't think, and this may sound crazy, but I don't think it's the best situation for him being a running back. They're not going to throw the ball a whole hell of a lot. Or they're not going to run the ball a whole hell of a lot. No. And you know what? Even Hilaire out of the backfield, I'm still throwing Travis Kelsey or Tyreek Hill. Well, that's true. You're not going to have to hit him very often. He would probably thrive in a different situation. Put it like this. But, I know. think he'll be pro- he'll be productive, but he won't put up the kind of numbers he could have put in like in Indianapolis. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If he was in Indianapolis and stayed healthy, you probably would have a 1,000-yard season. You might get one or two of those in Kansas City, but let's face it. And when you can throw a pass from Holmes, Travis Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill, all those guys you have, or you can run the ball, you're going to be throwing the ball most of the time. All right, number three, the Indianapolis Colts. I could see him maybe even higher. Wide receiver Michael Pittman was a great pick in the second round, 34th player. And that's another thing about these last couple drafts. Nobody had a first-round pick. The best value pick, I think, was Julian Blackman, who flipped the safety during his final season at Utah. And he had, after he had some underwhelming years as the outside corner, but I think he played really well this season. 
And Jonathan Taylor, who started off rough the first six or seven games of the season and then really turned it on afterwards. Jacob Eason, I think, was a good pick, even though we had no clue because we haven't even seen him play a preseason game since there wasn't any. So overall, I think this was a really good draft by the Colts. Yeah, Julian Bachman right up there with Jordan Fuller is one of the best safeties taking this draft class. I think Pittman didn't get as many looks as he probably should have this rookie year. He also I think he missed a couple of games. But Pittman, to me, is still going to be a very good receiver. I still really like Pittman a lot. And, of course, Jonathan Taylor being the only rookie running back to run for 1,000 yards this season, you have to look at that as well. I could see this draft class being even higher. There, there are three quality starters here. I could see this one being I could you if not being the best one. I think the top two are unquestionable. And number two to Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, I could see them at one. One and two could switch. But I think the Bucs hit home runs with Tristan Wirfs and safety Antoine Winfield. And Wirfs has been historically good for a rookie. And Winfield is a huge player in that defensive backfield. So I think those two guys right there, they got guys that if they can re-sign them every year, are starters for the next 10 years at two really important positions on an NFL football team. Yeah, I mentioned Jeremy Chin earlier potentially winning the defensive player of the year if you just took out Chase Young. I think Winfield would be in that conversation as well. And worse was already playing like an all-pro when he came into the league. And he really has helped them quite a bit because that offensive line was not very good entering the season. And now late in the year, especially in the playoffs, they've been performing a lot better, which is why Tom Brady's been playing so well. The big issue with this draft class is Keyshawn Vaughn in the third round. You basically waste that pick on a running back who hasn't played, who probably won't play in the future, and just does not fit what you need in a running back room. Well, everybody does at least one of those. Hell, half the teams in this draft did it their entire draft. Um, the so thing this means you put the Bengals number one. Yeah. Do you disagree? Uh, I, honestly, honestly, do you disagree? No, I had the Bengals in my top three anyway, so I can't really complain about I mean, that. You've got Joe Burrow, who was great through the first nine or ten weeks until he got hurt. you got T. Higgins, who I thought was the second best wide receiver in this draft. The other things you got here, you got Logan Wilson, who played really well at linebacker. Akeem Davis-Gaither, who at the end of the season really came on and played well at linebacker. So I, I think you've got four starters here. For the next 10 years, of course, if they all get resigned, they're Bengals, so they won't. But I think Joe Burrow, T. Higgins are the best one-two pick in this draft by far. Yeah, I guess. I think they're probably the best duo, and you have to give a little value to the quarterback spot here. So you got someone, Joe Burrow, who you're not going to be able to replace. Obviously, though, he did get hurt. We didn't get to see a full year, but there's no one in this draft that's going to match what Joe Burrow's going to be capable of doing, at least. That's what you keep saying, and I keep believing it. So until we're proven otherwise, I'm still going to go down with the ship. Because you believe. know it's true, because you watched him completely hammer Clemson. And that was after was being – hey, and they were down 17-7 to 7 at the start of that game. That was also a college game that happened over a year ago at this point. It doesn't matter. I'm just saying that's why you buy in, because they beat your beloved Clemson Tigers. There's some truth in that statement. I can yeah. respect the quarterbacks that are able to beat Clemson. All right, you got any news you want to talk about? Uh, we didn't bring up the other day, but that Texans head coach got hired. I can't even remember his name off the top of my head. But <laughs> So we're going to talk about the Texas new head coach, or you can't remember his name. No, I can remember. It's David Coley, and he was with the Ravens, obviously. You, did, as an you didn't remember it. You just looked no. it up. I just pulled it up on my phone. I pulled his resume up on my phone. He was an assistant head coach and a wide receiver coach with Baltimore. And he's got he's played he's been with a bunch of teams obviously but never anything above an assistant head coaching role. I mean, does this make any sense? Is is this just Tennessee taking a guy or 
Houston taking a guy because he was the only guy who could possibly accept the job. It, that's what it feels like. Yeah, because I don't think anybody really wanted to accept this job, did they? I don't think so. I mean, if you're talking about the guy in Buffalo, Brian Dable, the offensive coordinator, just didn't. I don't think he even took this job seriously. I'm pretty sure he said, look, I'm just going to go back to Buffalo for a year and wait for better jobs next year. Well, I, I think it's also difficult to understate what a fractured mess the Houston Texans are right now. And, you know, they're kind of operating like my driver's ed teacher, which <laughs> basically he would take a nap while we drove and then he'd give us all A's. Um, there's just, there's nothing here. I mean, the general manager is a joke. Um, I think Coley is probably a good coach, but my issue here is that the Texas will likely stockpile a ton of draft picks when they trade Watson. And my thing is this, will they take input from Coley on who they're going to draft? Or are just no, kind of, the GM first, or are they just kind of forcing him out there to kind of take the brunt of criticism, which while they build a team, and then eventually in two years they fire his ass and go get the coach that they really want. That's what I think is going to happen. You're going to have Nick Casario GM there for like maybe five years or whatever. They're going to give him a couple of years to think about this and try to build this team back up, realizing that's a total mess. But this guy Coley is going to get. I think he's going to be blamed for the shortcomings here in the first two years. And then when things start turning around in year three, they're going to have a newer, younger coach getting to start. Because Coley, Coley will be the oldest head coach or oldest head coach to make his debut in the NFL. That was an interim head coach in NFL history. So he's, he's up there. He's like 67, I think, already. Yeah, he does have a do, good defensive coordinator, Lovey Smith. So he, he's got that. Maybe Lovey will be the interim coach halfway through the next season. You know what? That's probably what's going to happen, though. I mean, right when when he gets fired, Lovey Smith's going to take over. Yeah. He's the most qualified, or he's the most experienced one again. Well, he, he, I don't know if he's the most. Lovey Smith didn't he take a team to the Super Bowl? Yeah, he did, but wasn't. Yeah, it was the it was the Bears team, right? With Rex Grossman, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so he took a team with Rex Grossman to the Super Bowl. I don't think that could be understated. That's pretty good. That's true. That's true. And he, he did have a couple of good years, maybe four or five really good years in Chicago. And then he went to Tampa Bay, and, of course, it was Tampa Bay, so everything went downhill pretty quickly. Well, unless Tom Brady shows up, then things don't go downhill right well, Tom, away. Tom Brady tends to make everything better, Mike. You think so? Well, just football-wise, at least. Well, I think Tom Brady makes everything better anyways. But what the hell? I, I think Levy Smith should have been the head coach there before David Culley. Yeah, Lovey Smith was 89 and 87 during his NFL career. 92 and 90 counting the playoffs. NCAA not quite as good at 17 and 39, but he was stuck at Illinois. So yeah, and what nobody, do you expect? nobody's won at Illinois since what Mike White in the mid 1980s when they made the Rose Bowl against UCLA. Do you remember that, Sam? I think it was about I was a while before I was born. How did, how did it work out? Like, give me the give me the background. Give me the details. Well, it worked out that he upset Ohio State. He upset Michigan in 1984. He got him all the way to the Rose Bowl against UCLA. The starting quarterback for Illinois, if I remember correctly, was Jack Trudeau, and UCLA beat him like 45 to nine. The only other Illinois team that was any good was like 2007 when they made the Rose Bowl and USC hammered him. 
Can you tell me who the quarterback was for the 2007 Illinois Illini? Yeah. Oh, he ended up in the uh, no. No, I'm not gonna be able to tell you this. I'm gonna hate myself as soon as I know the answer. Juice Williams. Oh no, I'm not shocked. I didn't know that one. Actually, I don't feel bad about not doing that. Juice Williams was a stud, though. I'm sure he was, but yeah, I kicked his ass though in arena football. Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah, he he played for the Chicago Blitz when I was with the River Monsters, and I didn't even have Jared Lorenzen on the team, and we smoked him. So we lost Sam. Sam must got tired of hearing about it. There's Sam. No, but I was saying they came to the Bank of Kentucky Center in 2014. We played them. Winner goes to the playoffs, and we smoked their ass. We were up 48-14 to 14 at the half because they couldn't figure out the defense because we messed with his head. That and he was afraid to run by then because arena football is not that fun to take off running if you're the quarterback because you get them hard walls and stuff. <laughs> Makes it a little bit more difficult. I, There's no soft landing places. No, you could actually throw a dude into the stands that it wasn't even a penalty. So you, <laughs> you, you know, it just does more fun. Oh, hell, it is. You got to watch it sometime. I think that game is actually on YouTube where you could see me get a back-to-back 15-yard personal fouls, too. <laughs> what did you do? I, believe, you I do? believe I may have said some unsavory words to a referee. <laughs> oh, that's hard to believe. It is. No, it's not. It is if you know me now because I'm not that bad now. But back then, yeah, I was pretty bad. Especially since in arena football, they had a rule that the head coach couldn't be kicked out of the game. So I, I, oh, really? I, I still hold the record in professional indoor football. I got six personal fouls called on me in one game in Marion, Ohio. <laughs> you, you know what? That's probably a fun rule to abuse, though, not being able to get well, thrown out. Well, it was fun to abuse because of this. They made a really bad call, and I was mad. And they had moved us. We were already on the one-yard line. You can't really move us much more. So I just verbally abused this referee for probably 10 minutes, and he kept throwing flags on me, and they could only move the ball so far back. So I just kept going, and then the other official who I got along with came over and said, hey, you think we could move this along? It's supposed to snow tonight. We'd like to get home before it. So then I let it go. <laughs> what the hell are you going to do? I was just having fun, though. It wasn't mean and harm. I, I wasn't trying to be mean or anything. I know all officials are stupid. I'm not holding it against them. And if there's any officials out there that are listening that are mad, well, if you're an official, you're an idiot too. All right, Sam, anything else you want to talk about? No, that's everything, Mike. I'm sure like a week from Monday, when we look back at the Super Bowl, we're going to talk about some official's call who had something to do with the game. There's always one. Yeah. And then I'm always interested to see who will get the positive COVID test to see who misses the game. I think it would be really awesome if we could have Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes both test positive for COVID right before the game. I the back? Is, is it, it Blaine Gabbert in, in like, Tampa Bay? The, and, uh, it would be Blaine, Blaine Gabbert against Chad Henney in the Super Bowl. So you, you would go with the second greatest, most historical matchup of quarterbacks in Super Bowl history to the worst. Because I don't yeah. think this is the most historical matchup in Super Bowl history between two quarterbacks. Are you going to say Ken Anderson versus Joe Montana? No. I mean, to me, this is easy because I lived through it and I know how big it was. Super Bowl 19. You had Dan Marino, who in 1984 set records nobody thought anybody would ever do against Joe Montana. And the first half was a great football game. 
And then towards the end of the first half, the 49ers defense just started bludgeoning the Dolphins. Ended up beating them, I think it was like 38-16. to 16. But that was more historical to me. Dan Marino against Joe Montana. Because I'll also make the case, and you'll get to edit it soon, that Tom Brady's not necessarily the greatest quarterback of all time. It may be Joe Montana. I'll enjoy, I'll enjoy editing that. All right. Well, my point is this. What people don't realize, Montana was 4 for 4 in Super Bowls, never threw an interception. He led a game-winning 92-yard drive for a touchdown to win the Super Bowl. But the other thing you got to realize is, like 1981, Super Bowl 16, when they beat the Bengals, the 49ers' leading rusher was like Earl Cooper, who ran for 400 yards that year. And they beat the Bengals. They beat the Dallas Cowboys before that. They beat the New York Giants and Lawrence Taylor before that. 82, they sucked. 83, they lost in the NFC Championship game. That may have been fixed because the officiating was so bad. When you watch that game, to watch the Redskins get the benefit of every doubt, the 49ers should have won the game. Then 84, they win the Super Bowl. 85, he get, they let's see, what did they do in 85? 85, they lose in the playoffs. But what you got to consider is during that time to even get to the Super Bowl, you had Bill Parcells' Giants. You had Mike Ditka's Chicago Bears. You had Joe Gibbs, who may, if there's any coach that has a argument about who the greatest coach of all time is, it's Joe Gibbs because he won Super Bowls with Mark Rippon, Doug Williams, Joe Theismann. None of the three are legendary. I mean, Joe Theismann was really good. Doug Williams was a great quarterback in Tampa Bay. He was the backup quarterback that took over for Jay Schroeder when, or Schrader when he got hurt in Washington. So when you look at the competition they had to beat, I mean, it, it's hard to look past the fact that I think in the 80s, the NFC was by far the dominant conference because the only Super Bowl that was won by the AFC in the decade of the 80s would have been Super Bowl 15 with the Raiders beating the Eagles, Super Bowl 18, Raiders beat the Redskins, and then the two Bengal 49ers Super Bowls. Were, those were the only games, the two Bengals 49ers Super Bowl games that were even close. And I mean, the Denver Broncos, when people said that Elway didn't have anything around him, he's still John Elway. He beats yeah. John Elway 55 to 10. He beats Dan Marino 38 to 16. Kenny Anderson, who should be in the Hall of Fame, he beats. And Boomer Esiason, who he sucks. But that's three legendary quarterbacks plus Boomer. And when you look at it, also, he had to compete against the guy who I think gets underrated. I think Steve Young is a top seven or eight quarterback of all time. Oh, and, yeah. you, and you had people in San Francisco calling for Steve Young to be the starting quarterback as early as 1987. And also you only had 10 complete seasons because of the injuries he took. He got knocked out in 1985 when missed most of the season, 1991 missed most of the season. And like the Leonard Marshall hit in the 1990 NFC championship game where he gets hit in the back and Marshall lands on that's probably a penalty today. So it wouldn't even happen because everybody's so afraid to hit the quarterback that they back off. Jim Burt knocks him out of a game, which Jim Burt would have probably been kicked out of the game for. You know, he had he had two year-long season-ending injuries, which shortened two seasons there. And then he leaves San Francisco, goes to Kansas City, and immediately takes him to the playoffs. Two years later, he's in the AFC Championship game against the Bills, and he gets knocked out of that game with an injury with a blindside shot that probably wouldn't happen if they were playing today. So I think the NFL is much different. I think the rules are much tougher. And it's hard really to argue with perfection. 
You know, it's like boxing. Rocky Marciano was 49 and 0. All the kids today will say, well, that don't mean he didn't, he never lost. There's a lot to be said for somebody that never loses. He was in four Super Bowls, won them all. Tom Brady did lose three, probably going to lose four. So, well, yeah, well, would you rather get to the game and lose or not get there at all? Is the question. I would probably rather not get there at all. Really? I think I would get there and lose. I know it would be probably worse. Probably I, I, I can tell you this. I, I've made it to championship games and lost. I've won championship games. Losing a championship game is horrifying. I mean, you actually have nightmares about it for years after. Especially if it was a close game. And especially if you're a coach that made a really bad decision and lost one of them, which I did in Marion, Ohio, back about five or six years ago. Now, there's also the five or six where I made the right decision and won, but we're not even going to bring that up right now. No. Because, because I can tell you this, the five or six I won does not eliminate the one we lost that I thought was my fault. That haunts me more than the other ones I think about. I was even listening to something earlier today where Rob Ninkovich was on TV talking about his greatest Super Bowl moment. The best thing, the thing he remembers most from the Super Bowl appearances he had with the Patriots. And it was the one they lost to the Giants. It was the loss they remember, not the two wins yeah. he had. Yeah. I mean, that it's really bad. To go that far and then to lose is – I mean, I got Joe Kelly, who's one of my buddies, has been forever, played for the Bengals, Super Bowl twenty three. I don't even think he's ever gotten his Super Bowl twenty three ring or the AFC Championship ring out of the damn box to look at it. I mean, it's just you didn't get what you what you were trying to get. And we lost Sam again. He'll be right back, though. Remember, guys, Monday, Rocky Blyer, legendary Pittsburgh Steeler, will be with us. And now Sam Teets is with us. As soon as I told everybody about Rocky Blyer being with us, we're trying to get Andre Reed, who I've been texting with today. Hopefully, we can get him Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday at 1 o'clock. Also, I've got a call or I got a text to Chuck Foreman. He's trying to figure out if he can work it in. Legendary Minnesota Viking. Ain't no other podcast got that, Sam. No, they don't. No, they don't. So, Rocky Blyer on Monday is a sure thing. Rocky's been on four or five times. I think he's been on the week of the Super Bowl the last two or three years. Great guy. I mean, you're a Steeler fan. He played well before you were ever born, and there's not too many too many Pittsburgh Steelers more iconic than Rocky Blyer. No, he's not Hall of Famer, but everyone who's a Steelers fan should know who he is. He's one of those yeah. guys who still epitomizes Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Steelers of that decade, of that era. Well, I mean, from getting you know his foot shot up in Vietnam or the landmine, whatever it was. I mean, to be able to come back from that. Have you ever seen the movie Fighting Back with Robert Urich? No, I haven't. It's actually the story of Rocky Blyer in 1980. No, I, I know Blyer the movie exists. I've watched, watched stuff like behind-the-scenes footage of the making of the movie, but I haven't watched the actual thing itself. you got to watch the movie. The graphics aren't as good as the stuff you used to watch today if you watch The Mandalorian or something, whatever the hell that is. You don't watch The Mandalorian, do you? No, I don't have a streaming service. There's no way for me to do, do that. You, do you know what The Mandalorian is? Yeah, I know what the Mandalorian is, Mike. It's stupid, right? I have no idea. I don't know friends like it. I don't know what the Mandalorian is. Get new friends. That's what I would say. That's what you would do. That's not what I would That's do. What I would do. Yeah, I've only got like three friends. Well, yeah, it's not that hard. To replace we only talk on the phone. I don't like people coming to my house. Yeah, you've told me before. You've told no, me I about. Don't. I don't like people visiting. <laughs> 
I don't want people visiting me. I don't go visit other people, so, you know, even irritates me, you know, when my daughter comes over, unless the grandkids are with her, and it still irritates me, unless you call ahead of time and ask permission. I just don't want people showing up at my door. I just don't. That's fair. I mean, number one, I got a coon dog, a pit bull, and a lab that all go nuts if you knock on the door. <laughs> you think Armageddon's coming. You think, <laughs> you think you're inside the Capitol, and there's somebody trying to get in to beat you up. Man, I guess it's happened to get those three dogs. How loud is a pit bull? I've never heard like a. I've never had a pit bull, so I don't know how loud. Uh, he's got a deep bark. Oh, it does. Actually, the lab is louder. But the lab's chilled out because the lab wants everybody to pet him. We take him to the beach, and by the beach, I mean in Brookville, Indiana, and he'll swim around, and everybody has to pet him before he's happy. <laughs> Nakoon dog's scared of everything because if I just get pissed off at something that's not even him, he'll run behind my chair and curl up and hide. <laughs> that's about it. And then the pit bull's still a puppy, so he drives the lab nuts, so we had to keep the pit bull in a room all day until my son gets home to let him out just in case they decide to attack him. Because the old dog, you know, the lab's like nine, and he don't play no mess. So the, as soon as those dogs start running around joking with him, it's over. He's done. Yeah. He's done. He'll grab him by the neck, and you just see him. He's just thinking, man, I should kill him, but then I'll get in trouble. <laughs> oh. But all right, anything else, Sam? Nope, that's everything. All right, guys, we'll be back at 1 o'clock on Monday. Remember, Sunday night, myself and boxing historian Christopher Shelton will be on to break down some film of legendary heavyweight contender Jimmy Young, who had a title shot against Muhammad Ali, where people thought he got ripped off of the decision. Um, also had a couple other bad decisions. But make sure you check us out. Jimmy Young, Sunday night at 7 o'clock Eastern time on the Old Time Boxing Show. Make sure you follow Sam Teets at Sam Teets 33 You can follow me at Grueling Truth. Go follow us on Rockfin Facebook, where I think we're up to like 97,000 followers now, Sam. Yeah, we're almost there. Yeah. And I got nothing else. Pathofpurity.direct. Make sure you hit up Pathofpurity.direct for the best CBD out there. It's a tablet. You put it under your tongue. It's time-released. goes into your blood system immediately and then releases occasionally over the next 12 hours. Make sure you check out Pathofpurity at Pathofpurity.direct. Rocky Blyer at 1 o'clock on Monday, next week's Super Bowl week. So for now, for Sam Teets, I'm Mike Goodpaster. You've been watching and listening to The Grueling Truth, where the legends speak.